Romans chapter 16, verses 25 to 27. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel, and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith, to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. The text for our gospel proclamation comes from the Romans epistle that I just finished reading to you and serves as the basis of our theme for the fourth Sunday in Advent, Willing and Able. There is a saying in leadership circles that the people you manage fall into four distinct categories. Number one, those who are unwilling and unable. Number two, those who are able but unwilling. Number three, those who are willing but unable. And number four, those who are willing and able. Now, I think we all realize that most managers want the willing and able people on their team. Because if they are involved in most any project, little is left for the leader to do but say, way to go, team, job well done. And make sure they, that is the team, gets the credit for the successful mission. But we also want to work with the willing and unable because just a bit of training and education is all they need to have the ability to join the team as willing and able members. Now, occasionally, I imagine you can find a unique way to motivate able people who are unwilling to help, but that can turn out to be a poor use of time and energy if they never find your encouragement compelling and thereby never become helpful to any given project, even though they have more than enough ability to do so. Finally, the unwilling and unable are considered to be those that should be avoided at all costs because they might just become undermining and destructive to the project altogether. So picking the willing and able seems easy, especially if you want these things done right. But what if they are hidden from you, or you simply do not know they were there all the time you were recruiting? This actually happened to me 19 years ago, my first year in the ministry up in Middleburg. I thought I had found someone who was willing and able, but did not realize who the best person for the project was hiding all along. It was just the first couple of months in the ministry, so I was learning my lessons quickly and rapidly. We were attempting to start a second worship service to alleviate the congestion in our Sunday service. But I wanted it to be a service that did things a little different, appealed to people outside our community, and was on a different day and time so we could minister to our second shift workers in the community. 
With the change in day and time, I did not want to burden my Sunday organist with coming in both days on the weekends. So I went searching for someone who had the ability and the willingness to fulfill the role. And I managed to find him. Through the kids in high school, youth pretty quick. He was accomplished and skilled on the keyboards and was ready to sacrifice his Saturday nights for the pay we were willing to offer. And truth be told, he started out awesome. And the service looked like it was really going to go great with him by my side, leading the music while I preached and led the service. At least it went well until it didn't. Unfortunately, he started to arrive late for rehearsals, then worship too, and even missed worship enough times that I had to sit him down and find out what the problem was. Well, there was a real problem, and it involved drugs. And unbeknownst to me, he was actually using his money for playing a church to buy his supply. We worked on a plan to stop the drugs, but unfortunately, he never got his addiction under control. And not long after that, I had to report to the elders. It wasn't working, and we needed to let him go. I'll never forget the soul-crushing conversation we had to have when I told him the elders were not going to pay for his services anymore. The conversation went like this. Brandon, I started. I met with the elders last Saturday. and You know your problems we have discussed. They've elected to terminate your contract to play for the church. What? Really? I thought they were going to give me more time, Pastor. I don't agree with this at all. I'm going to fight this. I want to keep this job. Brandon, I said more seriously this time. I recommended your termination. I am not funding your drug habits anymore. And I'm hoping this consequence of your actions will wake you up to the reality of your problem. I'm here for you as long as you need help with your addiction, no matter what. But until you get this under control... There is no position here for you. Almost immediately, this happened. One of my loyal attendees at the service, who was all too familiar with Brandon's problems, even knew it was bound to turn out the way it did, suddenly came to me with a solution that was previously hidden and completely unknown to me. She knew how to play and was willing to do it faithfully. And it worked out perfectly. Various musical talents even joined her, making an informal performance section that joyfully glorified God with their talents every Saturday night in Middleburg, Florida. To this day, I don't know why her talents were initially hidden from me. But they were hidden indeed. And eventually we could plainly see what God's vision for his services were in his time. His way. Isaiah prophesied seven centuries ago that a veil would cover the people of God and hide something very important to God's people. And that veil was death. Death would hide the life that could be had in God. It's exactly what it felt like every time we couldn't get that service together on time or even at all. 
It felt like a little spiritual death was veiling everything we were trying to accomplish for the sake of the people of the community that needed a distraction-free place to worship their life-giving God and receive his gifts. Well, that's not all Isaiah knows. He knows what only God can know and what God gave him to his people. Isaiah 25, 7 gives us hope in the veil of death saying, and he will swallow up on this mountain, the covering cast over all the peoples, the veil that is spread over the nations. He will swallow up death forever. That's encouraging. That gives us hope when the good that is coming is hidden from us. We always know that it's in God's hands. Consider Matthew eleven twenty five to 26, where at that time, Jesus declared, I confess you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. The best example I have seen of this was Loxley Leach, the youngest daughter of Principal Leach at the school. I'll share this in his own words. The week before school starts, my parents and I took all three kids to Target to buy them their new lunch boxes for the year. In the store, Loxley pulled down her mask, and the 20-something-year-old black, very muscular Target stalker came up to her. Target guy. Miss, can you put your mask back on? We want to make sure everyone is protected from the coronavirus. Loxley shows her muscles. I don't need protection. Target guy smiling. There are some things muscles can't protect us from. Loxley. Then Jesus has it and protects me. She then skips off without pulling up her mask. Dad was impressed, trying not to laugh, and chased after her to get her to put her mask back on correctly. Sometimes Jesus reveals his power to little children, because we won't trust him like they will. This is the hidden truth that we sometimes forget in these troubling times. Jesus has this all under control. Even when we can't see the solution he has provided and the means to redemption that only he can see, even when he was hanging on the cross. Only he knows who to reveal it to. He knows when to reveal it. And he knows who needs it the most. We frequently are not willing or not able to even begin to see what he sees. But if we could see from his perspective, it might change our perception altogether. Jesus doesn't see it from heaven. Even he doesn't know the day or the hour or the minute of his return and the consummation of all things. He doesn't see it when he's on the mountaintop with Elijah and Moses and shining as the light eternal ready to be glorified. He doesn't see it from the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego or during the Sermon on the Mount or in the glorious triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He sees it from someplace entirely different than we would ever dream of.
He sees it through the accusations of the crowds, screaming for him to be crucified. He sees it on the way to the cross in the faces of everyone who watched him walk to Golgotha. He sees it in the disciple he loved, standing at the base of the cross with his earthbound mother. He sees what is hidden from the world right there on the cross while we crucified him. All the world could see was the death of a prophet. But Jesus could see his victory over our sin and the redemption of our souls to live for him. He was willing. He was able. We were neither willing nor able to do, to see, and to be but only his death and resurrection could make us be. Amen.